coming to you from Strings and Things Studio and Fillmore for Two. This is the Strings Unraveled Book Club. Yeah, we're recording over Zoom today, so if it sounds a little bit different, um, that is why. But yeah. We're going to let Anne take it away since she chose the book for this month. So this month we read The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Um, fantastic author. Definitely one of my favorite authors. He has his hand in everything from graphic novels and theater and comic books and movies TV and television. He's like, you don't, you don't even know all the things because you'll, he'll sneak up on you. Like Good Omens is one of his, um, I mean, he, with, he often t is a part of a team for his um, movie and TV stuff. Anyway, fantastic. One of my favorites. There's a lot of people who are fangirls and boys of his. Um, and this book only like increased my like tender heart for him. <laughs> um, so the uh, book uh, this is a summary from Wikipedia. The book starts with an unnamed protagonist returning to his childhood home for a funeral, which as I read this is the first time I'm realizing that we don't know his name. Yeah. Um, I never thought about that. I go, oh yeah, I just forgot about it. And the, I got so caught up in the story. Yeah. I guess it wasn't important who, who died. No, I mean, we, we don't, don't know the narrator's name. name. Oh. We don't know who the funeral's for. And this right now is the first time I'm realizing that I don't know the boy's name either. They don't say it later in the book? I don't no. think so. No, they never say his name. Yeah. I mean, like, like that just like brought into clarity so much. Uh, oh, well. There he revisits the home in which he and his sister grew up and remembers a young girl named Letty Hempstock who had claimed that the pond behind her house was an ocean. He stops at the house where Letty had lived with her mother and grandmother and encounters a member of her family and starts to remember forgotten incidents from the past. The main narrative starts as he recalls a time when an opal miner who was living at the boy's home steals the narrator's father's car and commits suicide in the backseat, having gambled away his friend's money. This death allows a supernatural being to gain access to the narrator's world, leaving money for people in unpleasant ways. Um, there's lots that, lots that goes on. He has adventures and hilarity ensues. Um, there's a terrible monster that haunts his life. I'm, I'm skimming this synopsis because I think it gives away too much. Um, I mean, if you haven't read the book yet, we're going to spoil it. So Yeah, we're going to spoil it. First. But, <laughs> yeah, stop now. About a lot of these. Read details. it. Come back. <laughs> um, so it's all his memories um of this terrible these terrible events un unfurling the book then returns to the present where the narrator finishes remembering and is shocked when the hemp stocks inform him that this is not his first time returning to the house he had visited the house at least twice during his adult years and it was implied that he visited the farm at least once more before that to return a kitten that he had found during his initial travels with letty it is suggested that the hunger birds did eat his heart after all but letty sacrificed Letty's sacrifice revived him and his heart has been slowly growing back ever since. His visits to the farm 
are the result of Letty wanting to check up on him while she sleeps and heals. The narrator's concern over the unremembered visits soon fades as he begins to forget the past events once again, telling the Hempstock women to let <laughs> to tell Letty he said hello if she contacts them from Australia, which is where he thinks she has gone, rather than into her pond ocean at the end of their adventures. Is that kind of like when we couldn't keep my dog and instead of telling me that they took my dog to the pound, they say he went to a farm. Yes. Australia <laughs> is the farm. <laughs> Australia is the farm. Cause you can't tell people like, Oh, Letty went into the ocean. <laughs> I mean, let's just get right into the spoilers. <laughs> uh, Letty went into the ocean, which is this pond in our backyard. <laughs> Which, if you go inside, you know everything that ever, you, like, you understand the universe or whatever? Yes. <laughs> um, All will be revealed in the water. So but she now we're going to mind wipe you. <laughs> and she's somewhere, um, when they place her in the pond, like, I was so distracted by when um, the boy and Letty are in the pond hiding from the hunger birds and he wants to stay there forever and she tells him you can't stay there for long because you'll dissolve. Mm -hmm. Like why isn't that happening to Letty? Or maybe that's well, part of her healing process. She's, I don't think that she's a human in the same way that he is. Yeah. True, true. true. Um, I don't exactly know what she is. Okay, so we have questions. Okay, well, I want to start with, did you guys like this book? I did. Katie. I, I did. mean, it's Neil Gaiman. I, I haven't read anything from Neil Gaiman that I didn't really love. So I, I have never read a Neil Gaiman book before, um, but I very much enjoyed this book. It was, it, it was an interesting read. Because it's short, I read it in one, I didn't intend to read it in one day, but I started it in the morning and then I was like, I'm pretty decently far into this book. I could just keep going. And I liked it because it's, it's not often you get to read a book that's just like a quick little story. Like mm -hmm. it's not super heavy. It's not like it's like this big giant like commitment. It's just one book. It's small. It's a very like engrossing story. And then it was over and it was like, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was I don't like remember the last time I've read a book that was like that. He it has wasn't, one. It wasn't so much a. Sh it wasn't like a short story. It was kind of an extended short story. That makes well, sense. that's what I read in the um. I actually I ended up reading acknowledgments, which I never do, but I'm again such a fangirl. I'm happy to like eat up anything he puts out there. Um, <laughs> that it was supposed to be a short story. And so, but it just kept growing and growing because I guess these characters are part of the like cast of characters who run around his imagination forever. And once he like started to examine telling a story of them, it was it wasn't supposed to be this story. It was supposed to be like more of a story of the opal miner. Um, and then as it came to life, it became a little novelette. Um, there's another book because yeah, we didn't really hear much of the opal miner. I know it's like for for hearing that it was supposed to he was supposed to be the feature um so he has um another book my sister gave me for christmas a few years ago that it was the same kind of experience where you sit down and you just read it all the way through it is shorter i believe um 
It's called, I think it's called What About the Milk? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a cool title. Um, and I, I think it's, he goes out on Christmas morning even to just pick up some milk. Or maybe I internalized that um, oh. as I was reading it Christmas morning. It's called Fortunately the Milk. So if you want like another little bite-sized treat from him, because most of his books are kind of epic. Yeah. <laughs> um, these are delightful like little windows into his, his brain uh, building, his, mm -hmm. his creative. And the picture on the back cover, I don't know if it's on both editions, but on the hard cover, it's a picture of him and it's a picture of him on a drain pipe. Oh, is that him? Yeah, because on the inside cover, it says it's um, author, age seven, courtesy of the author. Oh. So him climbing on <laughs> the same way that our boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I'm glad that you liked it. I was very, like, nervous about this being, like, how you got exposed to, knowingly got exposed, because I started uh -huh. this. We all enjoy Neil Gaiman when we don't expect it. <laughs> I have seen one episode of Good Omens when it first came out or when it, but mm -hmm. I haven't watched more than that. So that was my first introduction was watching that one episode. That's all I know. It's all the way off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I love this book. I had one, the reason that I picked this book, I may have mentioned on our last podcast, our last book club that um, I have wanted to read this book so much that I owned three copies of it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and felt so foolish because it is like a sit down and you can read it in a day. <laughs> yeah. Like you should have already read it. <laughs> yeah. Like what's the matter with you? But here is this wonderful opportunity to talk with you guys about it. Um, so I, had, I hadn't read him until you got me. You got me on to him, Anne, with um, the Graveyard Book. Oh, I love the Graveyard that Book. That was a great book. That's the one I was going to say. Like anyone who's watched Coraline. Did you watch Coraline, Katie? No. Okay. I did not. Because Coraline is one of the, the best ways to find out, oh, duh, I love Neil Gaiman. <laughs> that creepy, creepy show, movie. Uh -huh. Okay. It would be easy to think of the Hemstocks as the triple goddess, the maiden, the crone, the mother, and the crone of popular mythology. In what ways do they conform to these roles, and in what ways are they different? Um, I mean, they are pretty... Yeah, that seems pretty much in line. <laughs> so you have Letty, who's like, she's a couple years older than the narrator. So she's like maybe like 11, 10 or 11 or something. 11. Mm -hmm. And then you have her mother, which we don't know how old any of these people actually are, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they don't age mother. in the same way we do. Right. You get the sense that they're, that even Letty is very old, old. Well, that's it, what I it, it says, it says that not. in the book, and I've been rewatching Twilight because <laughs> I can. So, and I also reread the first book, and it like I had just finished it, and it reminded me so much because she's like, he says like, "How old are you?" and she says like, "Oh, I'm 11." And he says something like, "How long have you been 11 for?" Been Which 11, is like yeah. word for word Twilight. How long have you been 17? And he's like, "A while." So it, like <laughs> made me laugh, and I remembered that specifically because I was like, "What is this Twilight?" <laughs> No, better, no. way better than twilight <laughs> um yeah i love that i love that this little boy who's seven because you have to like the narrator is so self-possessed that even like a bookish seven because i was a bookish kid like at seven though 
I wasn't quite as precocious as, as this character is. And he's so yeah. possessed that I have to keep remembering that he's seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, is he, so young. He seems more mature for, very mature for a seven-year-old. Which there are those. those or self-aware. Maybe not mature so much as self-aware. Well, much like, more- um, if I think of my own children, like Don, my middle son has always like, played a year or two ahead of the his actual like numerology numerological year so i i mean it's not far-fetched and this boy was still definitely a boy like um there's this part where he's you know seeing his his dad hug the you know ursula from behind (laughs) not really getting what's happening so he's definitely a child with a child's understanding of the world um so i think that um, old Mrs. Hempstock perhaps is the, the character that shows us like like the, the mother figure she doesn't I don't know she doesn't she's not as well developed I guess or like we don't see as much we of, don't encounter her as directly I think right so Letty you see the maiden and the youthfulness and her presentation and because surely these characters can choose like I imagine they're so fantastical they can choose their presentation to the world yeah maybe chosen to look like these three characters these three ages but Letty has this ancientness to her that like you don't think of when you think of a maiden right um they're, they're and all old mrs hempstock has this grandiose goddessness <laughs> yeah um it's almost so, like she's so powerful they don't want to disturb her till they absolutely have to mm-hmm. yeah like her her greatness cannot be contained in the shell of a crone yeah. right uh, and it almost it's like it takes a lot of energy to make her to make herself small enough to fit into this character that's easier for us to understand. That's an interesting, because I mean, she was specifically sleeping because they had taken the ocean and fit it in a bucket. Right. That's a lot of atoms to squish. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that ocean is made of. <laughs> but I think that might be true of all of always. She's so effortlessly excellent at solving the problems that she has brought to bear. Like, this a snip snip where they she cuts out this bad memory for her the uh-huh. father and sews the robe back together with perfect um you know perfectly matched uh yeah you don't they don't say what they are they no. say they're not witches yeah was like well me that was like my guess at the beginning but then they're like nope so it's like i don't they're some sort of immortal beings i assume I, I feel like they're they're the kind of thing that doesn't translate into the human world, and so I love the um like the nobleness of old Mrs. Hempstock, her kind of haughty air, like when she says that the the her, like her granddaughter wouldn't do something so common as to die. Yeah. <laughs> line I like and when Letty's talking like reveals that they are not witches she said something like we don't do spells and oh it's a D&D term that I I'm like that's the first place I'd heard that word hmm. what's the other one I don't remember anyway it's something like that though that they won't be so common as to do that right 
Um, next question. The narrator has returned to his hometown for a funeral. We never learn whose. Do you think that framing his childhood story with a funeral gives this story a pessimistic outlook rather than an optimistic one? You want to hear my theory? Yeah. I think it's his funeral. I think he's dead. Oh. I don't really have a lot to back it up, but like he he talks about how he has to go see his sister yeah. and he hasn't gone there yet. And then later on when she's like, no, you visited us a couple times. There's nothing like, I don't think that was probably his intention, but that's what I like to believe I was think actually happening. I think it's a really interesting take. Like I could. I sort of had that in my mind at the beginning when I started reading it for, for no reason. But then as it went on, I was like, well, he's not telling me it's not his funeral. So I'm going to believe it is. <laughs> I don't, uh, to answer the question, I don't think it's a pessimistic or optimistic. It just is. Like, uh-huh. like it's just the um, passage of time. Like, I forgot, I forgot that he was there for a few, why he was even there. Because I got so sucked into the story, it wasn't important what brought him to that location so much as the interaction and the memories kind of coming in and filtering. It's almost like he wasn't supposed to remember. He was supposed to go on with his life. Right. But like then, beginning. But then the memories keep right? forcing themselves in. Right. And so like a funeral is, you know, that's how we end it. Right. So, cause at the beginning of the book, I was like, Oh, cause there's something kind of like stilted and choppy about how we're being shown everything. Uh-huh. Like, I, mm-hmm. I had a birthday party. Nobody came. My sister and her friend took the, played the games. Then I had a cat and now it's the next day. And it was like, bip, 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 and very staccato. But that's the mind of a seven-year-old, right? Yes. But, but then, but then, I, I mean, I, I came to understand why it had that when we get to the end of the book and we're like, his memory has been clarifying because what's happening in the field when he runs to um, the Hempstock's farm in the dead of night with the thunder and lightning storm going. Wow. Like, so vivid. I felt like I was there. I thought yeah. Yeah, I was wearing a wet robe, you know? And at the beginning, it's like, I, he starts telling you all these things that he remembers. And you're like, how in the world do you not remember this from your childhood? And I'm like, okay, well, I guess you have to be like, it's sort of implied that he has to be around the hemp stocks or like in that place or at the ocean or whatever to regain all those memories. Cause I, at the beginning I was like, how do you not remember any of this happening? And then I was like, Oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> like someone committed suicide in your dad's car. And that didn't like, like you don't dream about yeah. that every night. Right. <laughs> your dad tried yeah, to drive me to the back. <laughs> I, um, I also have been so, cause you know, like the things that form us then perhaps express themselves in our creative endeavors. And we're just trying to tell that story over and over again. I kept like, cause he says he's an artist. I kept wondering what is his art? Yeah. Like what is the content of his art? What is he trying to express when he makes this art? Like what does this mysterious art of our narrator look like? Um, So I, I didn't feel like, and maybe that's because I'm, like numb to funerals but um <laughs> oh well i didn't feel like it had a pessimistic or optimistic tone you know it, it was just part of the story it was just it was beginning with an ending you know 
it was a smart way to like bookend the book at the beginning and the end because you know it's sort of you forget halfway through that this is a memory that he's recalling and you're just like in the story and I think it would have been less effective if it had just been a straightforward story of what happened. I felt like going home. Yeah. (laughs) Well we need your motivation like why did you feel drawn this day and this time? Because the narrator is male and most of the other characters are female, this story has the potential to become a stereotypical narrative in which a male character saves the day. How does this story avoid the pitfall? Well, he doesn't save the day. That's it. <laughs> right. And he's no. the biggest person. He, he, I mean, it's not his fault. Like the opal miner created this problem. Yeah. And the men things are- happen around him, but not because of him. Mm, he let he didn't listen to Letty. Right. He no. He he let go of the hand. Let go of a hand. Then the monster could throw the ball that created the portal. Um, but he was a child. Yeah. So there's this childhood innocence. The other it's one two- thing to be an adult and let go of the hand, which fear can make you do. But there's the it's different when you're a child and you just don't have enough life experience to make you listen to caution yeah so he is not so much um, a male as he is a child right and um the contrast of like how the world could have formed like the other men in his life could have formed him to be i mean his father seemed pretty neutral until he left (laughs) yeah until he was being in the father Right. Might have been seduced, but he still he still had a choice. Well, I don't know if he did have a choice. I don't know either. I think she was possessing both of I mean him and his mother. I think he was possessing all three. Like the sister could be terrible no matter what, because she's a little sister. She's five year old little sister. But really was flourishing. (laughs) Um in the environment that Ursula was creating of we're going to persecute this poor boy right. into the attic. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, it's been a long time since I've read something that was so like, what is this? You know, we're ta- I'm talking about the scene where the father is coerced through rage and control of, by this monster um, into trying to drown our narrator. And it, it's pretty shocking to read a passage where a parent is through rage and lack of control, self-control, yeah. trying to murder their child. Like, whatever the cause was, right. like, that's what was yeah. happening. He had no self-control, and he was murdering his child. <laughs> and the, um, the bravery of our narrator, when offered the chance to erase those memories to want to keep them yeah like that's and then ultimately they're taken away anyway (laughs) right um i could picture room i could totally picture a room in the attic because when i was when i was six sure was about a year a year old live in Texas and we it was mostly it was a one bedroom a one floor that had been where the second floor was the attic had been converted into a bedroom and they had a spiral staircase that went up and so I actually slept in the attic 
I mean, it was made into a bedroom. It had a dormer window. It was cool. There were no it wasn't cool. monsters that were going to poke you into your losing your sanity. <laughs> no, but that's only because that I that was scared out of me when I fell down the spiral staircase and I got like I cut myself right in the eye. <laughs> I have a little scar there, but um, yeah, that was that was because I learned. Okay, <laughs> public public service announcement: Don't walk on the narrow part of a spiral staircase. Oh, good to know. I don't have a lot of spiral staircases in my life. Well, this was completely in the dark going down. Um, Yeah, it's a different story, but (laughs) it's taken me to adulthood not to be kind of fearful of spiral staircases. That's fair. I don't have a fear of monsters, but spiral staircases still kind of make me lose my balance. We were, um, we went into uh, Calaveras Caves and they have spiral, like a narrow spiral staircase that you descend down. Kevin is terrified of heights. And oh. legs were shaking by the time we got to the ground. <laughs> um, that was a scary thing because I'm scared of being underground. Yeah. And he's oh. scared of heights. <laughs> uh, they call that the day I noped. Because you go down a little narrow, like a, it's like a narrow, tiny hole. And I was uh-huh. afraid that was how the whole thing was going to be. And people were crowding and pushing. And I was like, Kevin, I can't go. Bye. And I turned around and left. Yeah. Like, nope, 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 nope. Is that what noping is? The guy, yeah, that's what noping is. I noped. Yeah, uh, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> then the guys are like, no, it opens up. You just go in there and the passage opens up. So no. when we were in uh, Ireland, we found th- there was like a, like an old cave tomb thing that our guide was like, yeah, you can crawl in here and like, it's cool inside. Um, but it was like a narrow passageway to get into it that you had to like walk through a couple like yards worth of narrow space. And then there was an opening and everybody was like, Oh yeah, cool. And I was like, I'm staying out here. Sorry. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could have gone that far. I mean, well, it was like maybe like four or five feet you had to like get through before it opened up and you had to like crawl like hands and knees crawl and I was like no sorry I'm, I'm staying out here you guys have fun in the cave yeah I don't know I I don't know I I don't blame you for sure <laughs> um all right though the, though the narrator has a sister he doesn't seem to be particularly close to her why do you think he has trouble relating to other children why do you think his sister is not his ally well, if I could answer that question, I could really just solve all of my family problems. Right. <laughs> I, well, you have a, I, I didn't really grow up with siblings, so I don't understand the sibling different gender dynamic. But you both have brothers. Yeah, my so. little brother and I were pretty close growing up, and I was, but I'm the older sibling, and I um, like felt very like like. I don't know. Like he was my little pet, you know, not in a like overbearing way. I mean, I am and have been too overbearing to him, but like, like he was mine to take care of. Yeah. And um, I just think that there are different points in your life or when, at least for me, because I have an older brother and a younger sister, but we're all relatively close in age that there were some points in my childhood that I remember being closer to my brother and more friends with him and points where I was more friends with my sister, just kind of depended on the age. 
So Mm -hmm. I totally could understand, like, at that point being, uh, like, there were years where I was like, I hate my sister. Like, we don't hang out. We share a room, but, like, I don't want to talk to her. So (laughs) I think it's just a sibling thing. Like, there might, to me, there didn't seem like there there was anything out of the ordinary about that. Yeah. I wonder if there might have been a little bit of gender dynamics where if if his mother favored unreal, not unconsciously favored her daughter, and maybe he distanced herself with him. I don't know. Because no the little sister was kind of a snot. Yeah. There's even be- even before the witch came, he was you a know, snot. Maybe it's a tool to show how he could see the magic. Like, he's just a different little boy. Yeah. Like, he's not like his dad. He doesn't get along with his sister. We don't know that he's particularly close to his mother, either. I actually thought he was a little bit on the spectrum. That some of his quirkiness, maybe that's just me wanting to project, but I thought maybe his quirkiness was because that kind of naturally distances him, distances a child from their peers. Possible. Um, you guys are both smiling. Spectrum. I'm just smiling because you said that about the last kid in a book too. And I, you know, I, I know. <laughs> But, I identify with them. If they're odd and quirky, that's how I, I, I identify them with them. <laughs> um, so I, it might be a tool to show his differentness, which is why he's able to forge this friendship mm-hmm. and be aware of like the magic around him. Like the sister's like, oh. you're throwing coins at me. He's like, how did a coin get down my throat? Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> I didn't put it there. <laughs> um yeah i don't i don't know why they're not close except perhaps as you know that's what happens with little brothers and little sisters sometimes the story juxtaposes the memories of childhood with the present of adulthood in what ways do children perceive things differently than adults do you think there are situations in which a child's perspective can be more truthful than an adult's absolutely Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I feel like this reminds me of, we've talked about this with other books too, is like the, how unfaithful your memory can be to you. So it's like yeah. you, you remember something differently than somebody else does. But like, like you were mentioning at the beginning about like, he has this memory of his birthday and he has this memory of this cat that he had. And um, like, those are all things that were separate from, before. that was all stuff he remembered before he met letty right so those were just regular childhood memories and i think it's pretty normal for your childhood to look like that in your memory it's like i remember this day i remember this spot i remember this thing like just little standout things that pop back into your memory so i think that it was a pretty well done in the way that he did remember because at the beginning it was just like here's some things i remember then all of a sudden you were drawn into this big epic story yeah peters out at the end and he forgets again you know um how about that a child's perspective can be more truthful like yeah kids say the darndest things right right um i mean perhaps not like the sister was like she's great she's beautiful she's my friend she's the best ever he had some context to understand what she was immediately but that doesn't mean that the sister's perspective was wrong that's how she was being treated that's how she perceived it that was the truth to her 
Right. I feel like children accept things more readily as mm-hmm. fact where the adult mind says, wait a minute, I don't understand that. I must find reasons for this and we'll twist whatever that is to make the, make me understand better. Yeah. Whereas or kids are like, sure. Kids will say, yeah, it's a 10 foot rabbit. Of course. Yeah. You don't, it was a talking, was talking, about, talking cat. <laughs> I was talking about that the other day. It's like, at what point in your childhood do you learn that like dinosaurs aren't a thing anymore like when you're little you learn like about dinosaurs but at some point you realize like oh there's not just dinosaurs running around but until you're like three or four years old it seems totally normal for there to be dinosaurs in your world until you realize like oh wait they died millions of years ago oh okay i think i distinctly remember like a heartbreak somewhere around five yeah like so far back it wouldn't have you know grandpa wouldn't know about it like no one is going to think that in their little brains like yeah there's dinosaurs somewhere they're not here i'm glad they don't live in my town but they're somewhere yeah that's that's funny i think um like one moment that could amplify like and i don't know if this is what the question's really asking but like when um the hunger birds are waiting for him and he's in the fairy ring and it goes on and on and on and he's waiting and waiting and the night you know evening turns into night and it's dinner time and his father comes out and like so to the adult he sees his son being disobedient and being outside and skipping dinner and being foolish his son is fighting for his life (laughs) yeah yeah and he you know and he has this courage to say to his father like does it please you to make a little boy cry? But was that his? But was that his dad, or was that just? He might have been speaking to Ursula, but I. And here's my personal bias, where it's like. This person who you love and adore, but also like shows you rage and violence, like to mm-hmm. be able to, like how much of that was him and how much of it was Ursula. I like to believe that it was all Ursula because his dad seemed really nice and kind up to that point you know i don't know yeah um but even still aside from that line like the parent approaching this like why is my child being so foolish and this little boy who's like doing everything he can to live right Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the things that we trivialize that are the entire world for a child yeah um one of ursula montauk's main attributes is that she always tries to give people what they want why is this not always a good thing what does ursula want how does ursula use people's desires against them to get what she wants she was an interesting character because on the surface like on paper that's not bad you know it's like i just want to give people this guy wants money i want to give him what he wants but it's it was interesting because you're sort of going back and forth between like well she's just trying to help but also like she's not i don't know well i mean i'm i I hate to like harp on the violence of the father but like if was she always using people as their tools as a tool so she uses the father as a tool to get what she wants. She wants the boy to be contained so her doorway is safe. Right. But so did she also give the father, if she gave the father what he wanted, then he wanted an affair. 
or someone mm. younger? Mm, I think that that was her trying to maintain her hold on him. I think that was... Okay. I don't think that was what he wanted. I think that at that point, he was under her influence and she was just trying to... I don't know. It's very difficult what she wants because the the Hempstock women tell us what she wants. She wants a place in this world to be the only (laughs) one she is and to be comfortable in this world. And by her getting what she wants... She's, she has endangered herself to be at risk. Like, you fool, why do you think that there's nothing like you here? Yeah. Because you, all the rest like you have been eaten by, these, by the hunger birds. Mm-hmm. By the hunger birds. Eaters of the universe. Which, have you guys read, um, like, more than, um, oh gosh, Madeline Langle, um, I only read The Wrinkle in Time. Thank you. I, wrinkle in Time is not the word I can find. It was the no. title I could not find. Um, oh. I think it's the next one, or A Swiftly Tilting Planet. Like, there's this dark force that's devouring the universe, and it's a lot like these murder birds. <laughs> or hunger birds, rather. <clears throat> and they just come, because they, they talk about it devouring, like, people and planets and stars and um, huge, grandiose things. Um, and it, it put me right in mind of uh, Madeline Langle's work. Um, yeah, with the ever-present darkness, the ever-consuming darkness that comes and eats everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, we shouldn't always get what we want, because I want to eat cake and candy. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, it's just not always healthy for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we I don't always have our best interests in my Our desires and what's good for us don't always line up. Right. Yeah. And so that, you know, that is not always a good thing. Ursula wants comfort. How does Ursula use people's desires against them to get what she wants? I mean, I hate to vilify the father. I, I think she just reached inside him and found his most base desires. She's a beautiful young thing. Right. She doesn't want to take a beautiful young thing. The son does point out that the father he worries that his father's disappointed in him and doesn't want him because he's not the kind of son that's like him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think she may have reached in and pulled out all the dark things about the father. She gave him the opportunity for what he wanted to erase the son that doesn't match him. Yeah. That's sad. It was terrible. Sorry to keep bringing it up. Uh, water has many roles in this <clears throat> It can give and take life, reveal and hide, hide. How does it play these different roles? Well, we have an ocean in which all knowledge is held in a pond, in a bucket. And then we have- We have a giant storm. Yeah. We have, oh, that's good. The thunder and lightning storm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is this huge obstacle for this little boy to reach safety. It's almost a monster in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love the cat. Oh, that, that, I want to go to the field about, where you pull up cats by the tail out of the ground. I want to go there. <laughs> I want to go there. <laughs> that sounds like such a great place. I imagine there's this one illustrator that just draws their cats that way. Like they're it's like the cat farm. Yeah, like a black 
spot and then like little hairy pricks would come off of it. And that's how I kept imagining that cat. That was my favorite part of the book is like, he's in the field and there's these weird little worm things and they're all different colors. And I was like, that's weird. And then he pulls one up and it's a cat. And I was like, that's so cute. <laughs> about if you got this little fuzzy thing, it's just like pulling up a beet or pulling up like a potato, yeah, only it's fuzzy and it's got legs. <laughs> I love how it out eats the real, the house cat in the kitchen. <laughs> I love everything about the Hempstock kitchen. I want to be in that kitchen all the time eating porridge and honey and cream. Like that just sounded at every, everything sounded delectable. And so comfortable. I want to sit in a big bathtub in the kitchen and eat yes. porridge <laughs> by the fireplace. It, 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 it reminded me of the most comfortable, fo- cozy farmhouse you could want to be at. But yeah. it was also like magical, right? Because he went upstairs to his bedroom and then he was like, when he came down in the morning the next day, it was like he had to take a different way. It wasn't how he remembered because like, <laughs> he like moves the house around so it orients the moon or something. Yeah. Um, I want a full moon 24-7 too. Like I have to agree with old Mrs. Hemstock that full moons are better. (laughs) Not me. You know why? Because I am so oversensitive that a full moon wakes, keeps me awake all night. Oh, wow. So I, I got to have the window open and the blinds turn so that the air is coming on me, but then the moonlight streams in. You got to remember... I'm so hypersensitive about light that the little tiny green light that's on the smoke detector across the room will keep me awake. Wow. Not me. All like on in a room. Once I'm tired and cozy, gone. Kevin hates it so much. And we're getting (laughs) to the point in the year where like at the end of the day, it'll be a little chilly. We'll have eaten dinner. We've gotten like more comfy couches. We have um, these couches that were in our garage for an age that we pulled out that are recliners. So I'll be snuggled in, the recliner will be up and my tummy will be full and I'll be asleep at 8.30 on the couch for the rest of forever. And you guys make fun of me for going to bed at 8.30. Well, (laughs) I'll get up at like two. Okay. Okay. I Um, I am in bed now more like by 10.30. I, I don't know why, but I never got off of South Dakota time. Well, that's good. Run with it. You're going to love fall forward. Although the first night in South Dakota, we were in bed by 8.30 in South Dakota. That's two hours earlier here. I don't know what was going on. One of the cool things about like, what does it reveal and hide? Like this coming back to, oh, that's your duck pond back there. Mm-hmm. And the pond is hiding the ocean and the ocean is hiding yeah. knowledge and the ocean is hiding Letty as she heals. Right. And we don't even know all the things that are in the ocean. Like, remember they're like, um, well, we can't have the police coming here. They're going to want to dredge the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what is in this ocean? <laughs> Could they get lost in it? If they even tried? I would, I would think they yeah. probably. I think so. Like, what's his? Well, we don't know what his name is. What's his name? Yeah, I can't believe he didn't have a name. But it's not unlike me to like read a whole story, fall deeply in love with the main character, and never really know their name. It it bothered me the whole time that I didn't know his name. Oh, I didn't. Wow, I was completely like into it. I was like, well, what is his name? I never even realized it. I was completely oblivious that I I knew I knew all the names of all the other characters, just not. No, first person. The first person was, you know. 
one of the many motivators for the characters in this story is loneliness. Which character seems to suffer from loneliness? How do the adults and children respond to loneliness in different ways in the same ways? Well, that gives me some insight into what the father wants because Ursula is able to take advantage of him and take over the family life because mom is absent. Yeah. I mean, she's just at a meeting. She's just doing things, right, but she's it's not there. But she's yeah. always doing things. Yeah. She's all, I get the sense that she's often gone. So well, she started a new job. Father's loneliness yeah. in a base way. Yeah. How do adults and children respond to loneliness in different ways? Well, our young man disappears into books. Mm -hmm. And he eventually isn't lonely when he bonds with the hemp stalks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he it's out. almost like he they become his surrogate family. Yeah. Even when the family's like, oh, okay, we don't really know them, but you're staying the night. I guess we'll be there in the morning. <laughs> you can. It's okay. You can stay with these strangers. To loneliness by ending it all. Because what's more lonely than betraying your friends and thinking they'll never be your friends? Yeah. Again? And truly, we're always just our childhood selves. So adults probably respond to loneliness in the same way that the children do. Yep. Like he's always, our narrator is always going to respond to, to isolation the same way, right? He may escape mm -hmm. into the, his work. Um, right, you escape. Isolates on purpose. He could be surrounded by community instead of telling us his story. He could be at the reception, the funeral reception and be surrounded, but he, you know, purposefully that's, veers away from that. Yeah, that's right. I think I don't know if it's necessarily that children and adults respond differently. I think just peop, different types of people respond differently. Yeah. Like if I, you know, it doesn't happen often because I live with three other people. But like if I'm home alone like all weekend, I'm like I gotta find somebody to hang out with or I'm gonna go crazy. Whereas yeah. somebody else would be like, I'm so excited to have three days all to myself. I'm gonna read a book, you know, or whatever it is. It's just different. Isolation and, sounds good to me. I know. I'm like <laughs> I never. Home except for nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> um, last one Denny Hempstock tells the narrator that you don't pass or fail at being a person although Letty draws the narrator back to the pond so she can see if her sacrifice was worthwhile do you think it is how has the narrator grown as a person I don't know you don't get a lot of insight you don't really get to find out what he's done with his life really you know he's an artist and mm -hmm. he still has a family that I guess he cares about because he's going to see his sister and he's here for whatever whosoever funeral it is um i wonder if the author has an intention for whose funeral it actually is that's so interesting because i feel like you might be able to like in, in a different story you might be able to like assume like maybe it was so and so but like he really gives you no clues so it's I like always got the sense always got the sense the funeral had to do with someone at his house like yeah. it was the, maybe a parent's funeral. I think it's assume because it's he, he's in the area. I don't know. Is it, he in the area, but not at his old house? Well, well he doesn't. They moved. Yeah. Oh. They don't own. Someone else owns that house now. I think I I right. clearly have a bias towards it being the father's funeral. <laughs> uh -huh. I it's also tied up into the fact that I was also listening to the silent patient when I was um, getting. You know, oh started into the book so like i think i had just finished the silent patient and then i picked this up to um get going into it 
and that is tied up with angry violent fathers and um a male british narrator and um memory so deeply tied with memory so it was a strange book to go into having finished this other like very heavy book about memory set in kind of a similar place um so i felt like it was the father's funeral (laughs) i think you can make that case easily i just made that assumption knowing that i had no way of no really knowing it i just it was just just easier to assume i still think it wasn't it wasn't wasn't really important do you think well i was like so distracted by what he tells us i stopped thinking about the funeral so yeah. in, in that same vein that perhaps the actual funeral was not important to our, you know, our story. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think Letty's um, sacrifice was worth it because also we don't know like how much and how little it cost her because we don't know what her level of permanence is. Right. How long mm-hmm. she's been up. Yeah. I mean, he's been gone for, I, I don't know, 30 years or whatever. You know, I don't know how long it's been exactly. So, I mean, she could be thousands of years old and that's like a drop in the bucket. And I think they said that it's happened before or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that Letty has enough insight to choose him as a friend. Initially, she kind of like clings on. I mean, they're they're friends with each other, right? Yeah. As a assumingly like all-knowing immortal being for him to choose her him as her friend i would like to think that she saw something in him that leads her to believe like you said like you don't change that much from your childhood self so he's probably the same person he was then that she saw something in him the whole time exactly he's always been worthy of this this sacrifice that she gave throughout whatever she sees in him um well i love this book thank you guys for um reading along with it yeah thank you for uh suggesting it i really enjoyed it um it was a i liked it it was a treat it's still gaming i I just well it's hard to go wrong with them except i will say i might listen to american gods as um an audiobook finally because i i mean i i think i have two copies of it i think (laughs) i have an anthology and then i have a a soft cover but i've started it several times and it gets to this point within the first few chapters where I'm kind of like not engaged with the main character. <laughs> mm. And if I can't connect to him and I've tried it like three times, I don't know that I'm ever going to finish that book. So I might just do it as an audio book because I've never watched that show and I'm holding out on good omens until I finish the other book. So I may um, finally p- finish good omens. I think if I had read this book, in like high school I would have been like like it would have been so good like not that it wasn't good as an adult but I think that it really would have made an impact on me if I had read it at a younger age I was reading I was looking at reviews of the book earlier today just to sort of see what the like general consensus consensus was and someone said that it felt very much like a young adult novel that he kind of inserted some more adult themes into that could have been taken out and it would have been a perfect like young adult read for like a middle school or high schooler. Yeah. I think that sometimes it is classified by some as a young adult novel. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the, I could see that totally. I was thinking about making it my next read aloud for my kids, actually. <laughs> it was definitely Interesting. a fun story. What? I said it was a fun story. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're still stuck in the never ending Swiss family Robinson. We're like not even halfway through it and I misplaced <laughs> it. So they might never get off the island. I don't know if they ever get off. The island. <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie, you know, or there's several <laughs> movies, but the books are really quite good. And it takes a long time before, yeah. it, I mean, ultimately it's pretty, um, of its time, let's say. Mm. But it takes a long okay. time. When I was a kid and I saw the Disney version, I, well, I thought that was the coolest place to live. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they had great clothes. I mean, that mother was so resourceful. She could make clothes out of anything. I mean, not to veer I mean, too far into another book, but it does, I, we're like halfway through. They've been on the island for a whole year, I think. And um, the island gives them everything they need. Like Gilligan's it, Island. Like how? Except for, except for significant people for the older young men. Well, <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to that. Because, like, I think that's a Disney-fying, too. But, um, yeah, anyways. <laughs> anyways. It's Karen's turn. What are we reading next? We're going to read something that uh, part of our community had mentioned, and it's from my favorite author, Lisa C. Um, it's the Island Sea Women. So that book They suggested that, and I said, I totally want to read that. And I bought it, and I intentionally not read it or even looked at the synopsis because I wanted to wait. Um, but I, I love so many of the other novels. I, the Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane. Um, there's a, a couple of others. That, there's quite a few. Hey, I started drinking Pu'er tea because Lisa C. Um, you know, had the... My previous, one of my previous book recommendations, I think maybe last month, was called girl squads and it was like short stories about like female friendship throughout history and mm -hmm. the korean diving women that that's this novel's based on there's a short like passage about them in this book that really stuck with me yeah so when i learned that there was a novel about them i was like i want to read that that was going to be my cool. suggestion for next month so i'm glad that you picked well now it. you got to find something else <laughs> we don't have to wait a whole nother month to read it no <laughs> excited to read it. i will tell you okay so talking about girl squads I like reading it. I've got the audiobook. I hate the audiobook. In the audiobook, she sounds like a cheerleader. <laughs> she, her voice is so like, freaking annoying. So read the book, but don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah. I have like the coffee table book version of it, which is fun and it's got great illustrations. Oh, that'd be cool. Okay, so next month is The Island of Sea Women by Lisa C. And if you read anything else of hers, I will be great. knowing. This is the first time that we've pre-known what was going to be the book. So I popped by Barnes & Noble and it's like sold out at our local Barnes & Noble. So I'm ordering it right now. <laughs> yeah, I got to get myself cool. to Amazon and pick up a copy of it. So I'm oh, looking cool. forward to it. Does anybody have any suggestions or recommendations? Right. Um, Final Patient was great. So if you guys want like a really... It is. I read that book too. It was really good. Really. Yeah, really good. Um, twists and turns, great payoff at the end, really good. Um, strange dovetail with the book we've read. <laughs> um, and I'm going to read Lovecraft uh, Country. I picked it up today instead of the island, the uh, whatever we're reading. What is that called again? The Island of the Sea Women? Island of Sea Women. Yeah. 
So since I couldn't get the book I wanted now, <laughs> I picked up Lovecraft Country because Karen promises it's better than the show and the show is real good. The show looks good. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I keep in mind, I only saw the first two episodes before my my HBO <laughs> seven day free trial ended. <laughs> and I could, so maybe it gets better. Um, um, I'd say it starts off strong and stays strong. Okay. So the book is better. I'm, I'm excited. The book, okay. The book didn't have the monsters that the series started off with initially. Okay. I wanted more of those monsters. But, but the, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> I have a book recommendation. It's actually a two book series by Tommy Adeyemi. I don't know how to pronounce it. A-D-E-Y-E-M-I called Children of Blood and Bone. The Legacy of Orisha, book one. Oh, yeah. And the second book is um, Children of Virtue and Vengeance. That's the sequel. They're both really, really good. If I've you're into sci-fi, and it is a, it's classified as young adult, but the story of the characters is really strong. And there's just so much in this world that you can see the world when you're reading it. Those, like her writings are, have been on my um, to read list. Mm -hmm. sure. I would read more of hers. Right now I am reading the fifth season, which is the, by N.K. Jemison, And that's also really good. But I'm a big fan of sci-fi. So. Cool. Hey, I, I started a book that I don't know if I recommend or not. So I can, and I also kind of forgot that I was reading it because I started it while we were like camping a couple weeks ago. And then we got home and I forgot that that was the thing I was reading. And I was like, oh yeah, I should probably finish that book. So I don't know if I recommend it or not. Cause I kind of, no, forgot. because if it's, it's not compelling enough for you to keep reading it, to care yeah. enough to, about the characters. So we'll see. Yeah. If you uh, can see there might be a payoff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is short so i'm i think i'm like halfway through i should just finish it but whatever yeah. well thank you guys for uh joining us this week for the book or this month i suppose um i hope you guys enjoyed it like we did and um we'll see you next month for island of the sea women can't wait yeah now i can start it <laughs> okay bye guys bye